Well, what I'll, I'll tell you what when the shame hit me, the shame came over me was when I was ten years old. I was in one of these uh, arts and crafts classes that you have at school where you kind of stick macaroni on pieces of paper and make art, and you put a picture of your family there in the middle of it. Uh, one of the kids uh, turned when he saw my family. He said, "Oh my God, your parents are drug addicts!" And all of a sudden, I was like, "What?" My family's different from other families. So, so that's when the shame of uh, growing up in an alcoholic home hit me. And I suddenly kind of realized, oh, my, my, my parents' behavior is different to the social norm. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, Tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 118. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. Many of these people that we helped started their Tribe Sober journey with an alcohol-free challenge, which is a great way to check your dependence on alcohol. If you can get through a challenge easily, then you're okay, well done. But if it's a real struggle, or if you can't even contemplate doing a challenge, then you may need to make some changes. Our Dry July challenge started on the 1st, but I've had so many messages requesting a late start that we've changed the format a bit. We're leaving it open all month, which means that you can join any time during July and then get a whole month of online and community support from the date that you joined. So just hit tribesober.com, Dry July and sign up. Alternatively, Dry July is absolutely free if you sign up for an annual Tribe Sober membership. So if you've been thinking about signing up for a while, then do it today. Tribesober.com, hit join our tribe. My guest this week is well known in the recovery world. David Collins is the founder of the Foundation Clinic and UACT here in South Africa. He's a master recovery coach with a keen sense of social responsibility through his Ubuntu Addiction Community Trust, he's trained a team of recovery coaches who are addressing South Africa's need to build recovery capital. So I began by asking David to introduce himself. Hello, Janet. Thank you for inviting me here. And uh, I've also heard about Tribe Sober. What I am passionate about is recovery. I'm very passionate about looking at recovery from the lens of uh, recovery is what you recover back that the addiction took away. So addiction is a personality disorder that I believe every human has. 
and and my particular flavor of it turned out in in, in drugs. Yeah. Um, Gosh, that that's such an interesting way of of looking at it that I hadn't thought about. You know that we are recovering what we've lost, really. What I lost ultimately was self-esteem and self-respect, and I turned into the person I promised I wouldn't as a child. Yeah. So I didn't. Okay. I didn't want to turn out like my dad, who was a and is still a chronic alcoholic, and he really struggles with the with the the. The condition, and uh, growing up in one of those homes, I swore that I wouldn't end up like that, and I did end up like that. Uh, I just ended up on uh, crack and heroin, and uh, my kids got taken away and put in foster care. I really had to kind of wake up and look at my behaviour, and just yeah. thought, like, yeah. how the hell did I get here? And I was filled with such kind of shame around that. And there was such an honesty around that I couldn't deny it anymore. And Can you take us back, David, to how it started? You know, what age were you when you started drinking and taking drugs? And Well, what, I'll, I'll tell you what, when the shame hit me, the shame came over me, was when I was 10 years old, I was in one of these uh, arts and crafts classes that you have at school where you kind of stick macaroni on pieces of paper and make art, and you put a picture of your family there in the middle of it. Uh, one of the kids uh, turned when he saw my family. He said, oh, my God, your parents are drug addicts. And all of a sudden, I was like, what? My family's different from other families? So, so that's when the shame of uh, growing up in an alcoholic home hit me. And I suddenly kind of realized, oh, my, my, my parents' behavior is different to the social norm. So, so 1976, South Africa, English family that had come out here to get work was, was uh, suddenly I was kind of overwhelmed with that. And the first time I got drunk, they had a party and I, I was a 12-year-old kid that went and drank stole the adults drinks and uh, I remember getting this feeling coming over me of like of kind of freedom like oh my god so this is what it's all about and yeah. and there was a there was there was a, a a relief inside me and then I carried on drinking and uh, then then I burst into tears as one does you know drunk yeah drunk, I know <laughs> drunk defeat at the end and uh, I said I don't want to be an alcoholic like my father so I went down the, 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 the path of uh, illicit drugs, believing that what I was doing, at least I wasn't drinking and I'm not an alcoholic like my father. So that's a kind of false belief system that... Yeah, very interesting, that, isn't it? Yeah. It's like on a much milder um, degree, <laughs> I switched from white wine to red wine thinking, well, I don't like red wine much, so I won't get hooked on that, but I did. It's, it's funny that you say milder because people create stories around different substances. Yeah, yeah. yeah we if do. you take that substance, then you're worse than someone who takes that substance. Or you... what I've noticed over all the years around the, the the systemic complexities of addiction is how everyone gets impacted. So every everyone suffers, and there's no one one drug that's worse than the other. Yeah, the story. And in, in fact, uh, sorry to interrupt, but alcohol kills far more people, doesn't it, than all the hard drugs put together? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's I think it's three million people a year die from alcohol-related 
causes globally. And that struck me the other day when I was looking at the pandemic figures, you know, because we all shrink back in horror looking at those figures. But in fact, you know, people die from alcohol every year, those kind of numbers. And for the pandemic, the whole world stopped. But for alcohol, you know, they just carry on marketing and, and pumping out, you know, the glamorization of it. So it's it's very odd. But yeah, booze, drugs. Well, they're, they're all drugs, aren't they, basically? It's become normalized. Yeah, totally. But it's become really normalized in our culture yeah. and stigmatized. Yeah. So when people have mental health issues around it, yeah, it's it becomes really difficult. So say I go off to rehab and then I come back to my family and the family culture is all, all, all revolves around alcohol. It's very hard to, to reintegrate back into that culture because to enter into a place of recovery, you have a transformation. There's a, there's a transformation yes. of your spirit, whether you like it yeah. or not, but your attitude. Yeah. There's a self-honesty that happens with you yeah. that kind of goes, shit, I can't carry on like this anymore. And you, exactly. And you bet, you're betraying your own value system. Yeah. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So take us back to your rock bottom and what happened then? You, you lost your kids to, to foster care for a while. So did you uh, go into rehab at that time? Yeah, I'd been to several rehabs. Um, my, my journey started, I was in London and my dad came over to do a step up, make amends to me. Yeah, because mm -hmm. he was, and uh, I was in a in a flat, uh, nursing a heroin habit while working in banking. So I was living, <laughs> I was living a dub, double life. Um, and 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 my dad came and and he spoke to me about uh, his, his alcoholism, and I got curious around my addiction, and I went for a, a medical at uh, at the bank because they send you for a medical. I was working with the Japanese bank, so there were a lot of benefits for for the well being of people. And uh, so I went for this, and then I told them, "Listen, I've got this heroin problem." And then I went off to my first rehab, which was Clouds in the UK. Oh yeah, which was uh, quite a to do facility in the, in the sense that it had a good name and. And then I got kicked out of there for smoking dope. And then I went off to an NA meeting, my first NA meeting. So I got in touch with the, the 12 steps mm. via a treatment. Um, and and then uh, I descended, I did a couple of outpatient programs and I tried acupuncture and yoga and all that sort of stuff. But the descent from, I got a problem down to, oh my God, this is, yeah took about three years and in that descent we changed moved countries uh came, came back from the uk to south africa uh, that's called a geographical and then i ended yes up. fix and you were married with children at this point yeah yeah and then yeah. I, I mean basically what happened is i woke up in a clinic in cape town yeah uh, with two ex-wives and uh three kids yeah and then i started uh, my recovery from there and, and, and what I did was I'd, I would just go to meetings because that's all there was. It was really the yeah. just the 12-step model. Um, of course, this is 26 years ago we're talking, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. Uh, and, and what I've noticed in this 
past 26 years as the the rehab industry or the mental health industry or whatever has grown up around me. I've kind of what watched it yes. kind of grow and, and transform. That's a, that's a whole other debate as well. But yes, yes. I mean, we must chat maybe sometime. But uh, I've you'll know that well far better than me. But I have heard, you know, that a lot of the rehabs have sprung up because medical aid are paying for them, and you know, some of them aren't particularly effective. Well, well, that's the yeah. I mean, that's that's the, a big challenge that that exists out there is when you're providing treatment for people with mental health. There's a business case for telling people that they're sick to get them into treatment. Yeah, I and, know, I yeah, know. And, and it's tricky. That's very tricky. But I mean, something like Tribe Sober wasn't about. Yeah. No, no. I mean, and, we've only been going six years, and I think the the first um, kind of online recovery thing that I know of was in the UK, uh, Soberistas. And then gradually, you know, there's more and more. And and I think it, it's great, you know, because, of course, you know, AA helped you and it's helped millions of people, but it's not for everybody. You know, I did go to AA and I really tried, but it, it didn't work. And it only worked for me when I found, you know, the people that I could relate to elsewhere. Well, I, I love the way that there's so many routes now to recovery. It's not just the 12 steps. <laughs> The story about that is really it's still a it's still a relationship between two people. So how mm. AA started were two peers with a common problem, yeah. just yeah. chatting and work working together. I know it's an amazing them. story. And then twelve years later or ten years later, the 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 steps came out and the the structure around it. So it was really just two people doing peer I support. Know. And it grew from that. And then yeah. the, the, the 60s, when, when, when addiction was recognized as a disease, a medical, under the Kennedy administration, they started to medicalize it. So, so the treatment of alcoholism moved from the spiritual world, the moral, the, the faith-based, into the medical model. Yeah? Mm. And now what we're trying to do is move that into the wellness model to, to bring awareness around people that it, even though you've got this condition, you are not your condition. Yeah. And, and what recovery is, is how you can show up and fulfill all your various roles in life to the best of your ability. And yeah, I think it fits so nicely into wellness, doesn't it? Because a lot of the people that come to Tribe Sober, you know, they're, they're women uh, that hold it all together, you know, a bit like I was when I had a problem. They're, they've got good jobs, you know, they're quite functioning, nice families, but they, they're sinking at least a bottle of wine every night. And it's more for self-medication issues. And yet these kind of women, I was one of them, you know, we do our yoga, we exercise, we eat gluten free we eat organic and it's so mad isn't it you know it's so incoherent and we think oh we're you know we're part of the wellness trend and it just doesn't fit but eventually you know people are joining up the dots the dots i think so let's let's go back to you sorry <laughs> i love stories that's all so there you were um going to meetings very regularly so you you went to a rehab in cape town and was that it, or were there more relapses? So, uh, no, no, that was it. And then I had uh, okay. 15 years of complete abstinence, and, and my recovery was very kind of black or white, yeah? You're either in it or you're, you're out of it. 
And I guess I needed it to be like that. I also developed a whole personality persona around Captain Recovery, and I'm in this, and I'm an amazing story, and look at me, and clean time, and key rings, and celebrate all that. So I created <laughs> a whole identity around it. And then I, I met uh, Booker, my, my ex-wife, but we got married, had all the tick boxes of what I thought recovery was. I was working uh, back in banking and IT. I'd started this rehab on the side, um, which was called Sharp, which is now called the Foundation Clinic, which is celebrating 21 years tomorrow, being open. Right, yeah, I've heard of Sharp, yeah. And, and um, yeah, then we, we, we got divorced. You know, it's, uh, it's, I suddenly kind of realized that uh, recovery for me was not about just stopping the drugs. It's more about searching and, and recovering myself. And uh, I was in this marriage and I was just very, very unhappy. And I went and I did something called the Mankind Project. And uh, then I started, oh, I know, yeah. And I started to do 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 work on myself as a man and what what that means. Mm-hmm. And and so I did a whole lot of work there. And then then I did coaching because I wanted mm-hmm. to go into business coaching. And then when I did the business coaching, I thought, shit, this would be really good for the clients at the clinic in terms of a recovery coaching model. Yes, and, yes. And, and this is what I've been exploring since 2007, so full-time since 2008. Yeah, the, so the 12-step stuff kept really worked for me for 12 years, <laughs> and then I needed more. Yeah, just, just go out and do more in the world. And, and what I do yeah, and the, is teaching. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about the, the coaching model and how, how well it fits. I mean, I so agree with you because... With the 12 steps, you know, you have this rigid program and you do it and it works, you know, your testament to it. But then if you move into coaching, then you're giving the power to the person, aren't you? You know, you're facilitating. You're not saying you've got to do step one, step two, step three. You're you're giving them the power to um, discover themselves. Yeah, and that's giving the individual agency to find out what yeah. recovery is for them. So as, as yeah. opposed to someone saying, this is what you've got to do to have yeah. a spiritual awakening, it's more like, what is going to awaken your spirit that's going to Exactly, because we're all different, aren't we? We all need different things. So tell us more about coaching. You were a, a coach in, were you in finance here in South Africa as well? Yes, so I do executive and leadership coaching where I coach uh, in organizations, and that's what I kind of got trained in. Organizations use coaching to influence culture. So leaders of the organization are coached to influence the culture of the organization, and the organizational culture needs to deliver on what the strategy is and shareholders and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. And so I took that same kind of concept to, to the clinic to see how we can use coaching to influence the culture of recovery at the clinic to move people from a culture of addiction, which is focusing on the problem, to creating an environment that provides the solution. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that we call recovery capital. Recovery capital is the internal resources available to someone when they want to change. So I really want to change as a person, but there's no external resources for me. I need to change. I need to get a job. There are no jobs. I go back to 
Yeah, that's where, where coaching sits is how can we create recovery capital? And, yeah. and, and, and that's what we're doing with the Ubuntu Addiction Community Trust, the public benefit organization that I work with. We train people and we go around and, and we create recovery capital. Yeah, I, I love that concept of recovery capital. Well, I mean, Tribe Sober is recovery capital. Yeah, yeah. Because so, we're, we're building resilience, aren't we, really? Yeah. No, it's, it's, I haven't heard that term before. That's why that's why it struck me. I like it. <laughs> I shall steal it. <laughs> Good. No, no, please. Well, I mean, this is recovery capital, what you're doing here. You're sending out messaging of hope, I guess. And yeah, I'm just trying to, to raise awareness yeah. and let people know that, you know, there is there are places that we can go if we feel really stuck. Because for me, creating recovery capital, there we go, is, is about community. Because I tried for 10 years to sort myself out because I, I was filled with such shame. I didn't want anyone to know about it. I thought I got myself into this mess and I can fix it. You know, I'm a strong person. I always reach my objectives, but obviously I couldn't. And then when I finally met other people that had the same issue, I stopped feeling so bad about myself, you know, and so lonely. And, and then it, it just worked for me. So I really believe that community is, is the heart of it. And, of course, you know that TED Talk with Johan Hari, um, connection is the opposite of addiction. For me, that was the key when I discovered that. It's, it's the shame that needs to be spoken about. Yeah, I know. So, so there's I internal know. shame and then there's communal shame. So so families will be embarrassed of their loved one's behavior, so they keep it a secret. The shame keeps it under wraps, which keeps the the problem going. Yeah? Yeah. So yeah. you've got to find a way of opening and lifting someone up out of that shame. But it's, it's uh, very difficult when... Um, society still stigmatizes it all so much yeah and i hate the way that society decides that you're either a kind of raving alcoholic you know and you've lost everything and you need to go to aa or you're a normal drinker it's like there's no room for the millions of people in between because it is a spectrum isn't it i mean i moved from being a normal drinker in my 20s to gradually becoming more and more dependent over the years Many people that I come across fit that model and, you know, they don't feel that they're an alcoholic. So that's all right because I'm not very um, smitten with the label alcoholic because I think that makes people ashamed. Hmm. Well, it's the, the stereotype that goes with, with the label. Yeah. 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 So, so people kind of think that the persona of the alcoholic I'm not that, so I haven't got it. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so that was that was me, you know. I was well. I can't be an alcoholic because I've got a really good job yeah. <laughs> and I go to work every day. I mean, there were you in banking with your heroin. <laughs> well, often it's the okay. So two things. First of all, it's a, on a continuum. It's a progression. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you started with use. You misused. You abused. You became dependent. So you go mad. When you kind of realize your madness and you can't carry on like that, then the recovery journey starts to happen. Usually when you make that decision to change, people around you thought, oh, God, this person's never going to change. When you do, with alcohol, you get some, you know, teased relentlessly and told that you're boring and, you know, there's well, all, all that shit to deal with. But the, the difficult thing is 
the person's been self-medicating their personality. So now the medication goes, now you've just got this personality. So I'm an intense, obsessive kind of guy. So my alcoholic behavior yeah, shows up in other areas. So I'm definitely a workaholic. Like this yeah, is, yeah, I am actually. I should be retired now, but look at me. <laughs> yeah. If you work on your hobby every day, you'll never work in your life. Yeah. 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 Some, That's how I feel now, actually. I yeah. never felt that when I was in a corporate, but yeah. I do these days because I'm doing something worthwhile. You know, they, when I was in corporate, what was the purpose? The purpose was to make the shareholders richer, you know. I worked in the art world, so you can imagine. <laughs> so, yeah. Once you make more than $60,000 a year, there's not much more money is going to make you much happier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and for me, what 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 I do do is I chase my kokorozashi. Now, kokorozashi is Japanese for "What's your soul's purpose?" Oh, yes. And I think isn't it when everything meets those three circles? No, no, that's ikigai. Oh, that's it. <laughs> They're very good at these sort of things, aren't they? Well, love, fantastic. Because yeah, Japanese culture is very different from Western thinking. So the number one bank will always be the number one bank. The number two bank will always be number two. Number three will always be number three. You know, we won't go and steal your clients from anyone else because we're all in this together. And, nice. and yeah. when I learned that, I thought, oh, my God, that's, that's, that's what they mean in Africa with Ubuntu. And I suddenly realized how my Western thinking had, had really kind of blinkered me. Now what I do is I follow my kokorozashi and I try and create the my space that feeds my soul and yeah. hopefully it feeds other people's souls. And if it does, you're yeah. welcome. If it doesn't, that's okay. But waking up on a Monday morning and driving off to work, to the bank, the my space there wasn't feeding my soul. Now my soul is being fed. My bank account is just zero <laughs> a bit crap but <laughs> the soul is the soul is overflowing that's all that matters isn't it so talking of bank accounts let's move to south africa because it's such a complex country isn't it addiction here i mean it, it's huge obviously you know we went through the pandemic and the they banned alcohol here which was extremely brave i can't imagine them doing it in the uk but of course we saw the hospitals empty didn't we at the weekends and the covid patients finding room but i think it's 170 people a day die here you know because of alcohol related uh, issues and there's so many social problems here as well and the legacy of apartheid and I just wondered what your thoughts are around that. I mean, is there any hope? You're, you're obviously doing fantastic work, but what, what's your take on it? If you were President David, what would you do? What would I do? I would, I would certainly increase, uh, create more recovery capital. That would be the first thing yeah. I would do, um, because uh, every dollar that gets spent on the kind of the education around this stuff, you save seven dollars in total. You save three dollars on medical uh, costs and four dollars on criminal justice systems. So, so the, wow. the the ratio: the more you invest in this, the more you save in trying to manage the problem. So, instead of trying to protect people from the problem, teach people the solution is much more effective. 
We know that uh, addictive behavior, one of the causes is unresolved issues of guilt, shame, and trauma. And everyone who lives in South Africa suffers from guilt, shame, and trauma, just because of the legacy of apartheid, of colonialism. But the one common thing that unites everyone is everyone can relate to the pain of alcoholism. So the families that come to family group, when they start to talk about their problems, they connect with other family members from diverse groups. So we'll have, you know, kind of Zulu, Tswana, Muslim, Jewish, yeah, yeah. English, you know, everyone kind of relating to, ah, oh, really? Oh, my God, I didn't know you people did that. Seriously, <laughs> right? And people. Yeah, yep. the divide that's been put on us, yeah, gets broken and people unite through a common pain. Have you ever fallen in love with somebody that you weren't meant to fall in love with? I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Well, ask yourself that question. Did people tell you not to not to go out with them? Yeah. Did you oh, listen? Yeah. yeah. No, of course not. No. Okay. No, no, I wouldn't listen to anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You had to go on the journey to realize that that relationship yes. had become abusive or wasn't working yes. with you anymore. Yeah, yeah. And and you'd leave it and then you'd go back and maybe it'll be Ooh. different and leave. That's that's all it is. So so it, alcoholism, it's become an abusive relationship that's not working anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we use that analogy actually. We get people to write uh, as part of their kind of recovery to write a goodbye to alcohol letter. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lovely collection now. I, I read mine out on Eusebius MacKaiser show one day, oh. and everybody started sell- sending me their goodbye to. And it wasn't always alcohol; it was drugs or a person. So we've got a nice collection of them now. Uh, I really can see that concept so clearly. You know, when you you get rid of someone, and then you think you start missing them, and you think, oh, they weren't that bad. <laughs> it's all- and then they come back, and you remember, oh my god. They were a nightmare. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So to heal the divide in the nation, yeah, is to get us kind of united around a common problem. Now, when you try and unite community around the common problem of alcoholism everyone has an opinion so the christians Mm. will start fighting with the muslims and the (laughs) the different faith-based groups or the medical industry start debating and then the social activists come along so we've done a lot of work with uh, recovery connections in the uk over the past seven years they've been working with taking people off of the streets getting them in getting them housing then starting the recovery process engaging with them and then getting them off of the drugs so instead of trying to get people off drugs first it's kind of meeting people where they're at working with them and working with the families and reducing the harm that's happening that has then kind of created a, a a pathway for people to increase their recovery capital so then people go back to school they get jobs yeah they they did that in portugal didn't they i don't know if they still do but there was there was an amazing initiative there whereas in the u.s they they tend to sling drug addicts in jail don't they (laughs) which yeah it's rather counterproductive in portugal they decriminalized drugs to address the hiv problem 
there was a lot of resistance from the, the, the police and the criminal justice system. But uh, over time, spending that money on educating people and reducing the harm actually paid off. So that's a great model for decriminalization. So tell us a bit more about Ubuntu Addiction Community Trust, because uh, I've heard of it. I know, I think you started it, didn't you? You're the founder. Well, I was at, I was at J.P. Morgan, and uh, they came to me in 2005 and said, David, we don't know what you do, but we know you're doing good, and we have to, <laughs> we, we, we have to do a CSI stuff, Corporate Social yeah. Investing, and here's 100,000 rand, but you have to set it up like this. So they gave me 100,000 rand. So I was thinking about it. Well, what do we do with 100,000 rand? How can we? We could treat five people, yep, and at best get 60% success rate. Or we could take 20 people that have committed to recovery and then train them up as recovery coaches that they can then go and impact, make an impact in their community. So, so me as a white straight male walking into Soweto, everyone's going to have to get through that first. Yeah, yeah. But you know, if you're an ex nyope addict that's got a stable recovery, you'll be able to build rapport with somebody else very quickly if you've shown a commitment to recovery and then you educate. So that was the idea. It's called U Act because we wanted to create treatment. Yeah. So people mm-hmm. come, they get trained. They get empowered and then they can go and provide a form of treatment in their communities. And then then we've got the Ubuntu Academy of Coaching Training where we train people in this. So those are the two two missions, if you'd like. So the one leg goes into organizations to create wellness and the other place goes and creates recovery capital and better treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we we sell our training, a peer recovery specialist. That's kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the the entrance to become a certified recovery coach, where, where where somebody's got more agency and wants to deepen their recovery, to a systemic wellness practitioner. That's somebody that practices within a system, bringing recovery capital around uh, the organization. So that's just kind of mental well-being, leadership. Uh, how can we do better at looking after our people? Because the stigma in corporates is like, I'm an executive, I can't phone the helpline and get help there. So there's a big need for it. And when you've yeah. got an executive at that level struggling with substance use disorder, it impacts uh, productivity. Yeah. And oh, yes. I, I think corporates have got a lot of work to do to uh, to put out education. I mean, they, they don't have to run workshops saying, you know, how to stop drinking. But I think corporates should run workshops about wellness, you know, and then they can cover drugs, alcohol and sport and whatever else they want to cover. The challenge yeah. with that is how, how do you get the message across? So we're going to have a workshop today. You're all invited to talk about drug addiction. People don't go to that because they think, oh, God, why am I going to, people are going to. No, no. You, you call it wellness. Yeah. Okay. You've got to be clever with the title. And well, make everybody go. You know, it's, you don't just pick on the people that, oh, he looks like he might take too much at the weekend. <laughs> you see, what, what should really happen is the, the, the executives 
should get involved in in it. They need to be yeah. part of it. It's not something that you outsource to a company. So in organizations, HR is at the bottom of the chain. Yeah. Tell me about it. I was an HR director. But oh. we, we had this thing called employment um, assistance program. Yeah. So if, if anybody had a problem, we'd say, oh, you found this number. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that's the outsourcing. So when I was working with the Japanese, yeah, I went to the, the – it was the exact same thing. I noticed that the HR department and my boss, IT boss, they didn't know how to handle this. What corporate should be doing is they should think, fuck, as part of our strategy, we should align with something that's going to make a difference in the world, yes. that is making a difference, that our employees can make use of if they wanted to, and we contribute to this charity because it's part of our cultural development of our workplace environment. And that's Exactly, because surely it's it's to the advantage of every corporate in South Africa to have a you know a society that is is functioning better. It's, but it's uh, a global problem, and we've got an yeah, Af yeah. African solution for a global problem. If someone's listening to this podcast and they are where you were in '96, which is quite a dark place. And they, they just don't know how to get started and they feel like everything's hopeless. What, what would you say to them? What message would you send? Well, I would say, like, where do you want to start? I mean, the fact that someone's feeling like that is a great place to start. As soon as you ask for help, lots of help's there. I mean, that's a great place to start to just say, shit, I can't do this anymore. I need help. Yeah. And then there are lots of resources that people can plug into to get help. Um, but people need to remember as well that the recovery process is traumatic and overwhelming in itself because you're losing an identity. And so people need to understand it's not an event, it's a process. And our job is to walk with people through that process, through the ups yeah. and downs and the yeah, to walk alongside them because uh, and there's so many emotions that come to the surface in early sobriety as well. If you've been numbing them for years with drugs, then uh, they, they can overwhelm you, I agree. And the first emotion that comes out is anger. Yeah, and, and people don't know how to manage that anger because it's, mm. it's a, like when you come out of denial, you get angry and then it's bargaining grief. And then yes, it's the curve. Yeah. That's, that's the process. So in our clinic, when our patients come in yeah, and they start getting angry and complaining about this and that, we know that they're on the journey. Yeah. Okay. You know that they've started the journey. They, they've started, and then they complain, and the da 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 da. da and they, they start saying this this bloody place. Yeah. All, all, <laughs> Your stupid process. <laughs> yeah. All that starts to come out, and then that leaks out into the families, and it leaks out. So we we our job is to normalize the process. This is what's going on. This is where this person is in the process, and the process is going as it should be going. But people have a, an expectation around what that process should look like. So I'm going to go to rehab. I'm going to lie by the pool. I'm going to <laughs> have it's going to be peaceful. So family members come. They see their, 
uh, their loved ones laughing at the house, they see the swimming pool, they get very resentful because they then think, oh, this person's just lying around all day getting all the, the love, care, and attention like they were when they were in active addiction. When actually that's not the case, and we need to work with the family to help them process their anger and hurt and guilt and shame and fear and sadness because they've been traumatized. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me, David, and for teaching me all about Recovery Capital. I'm feeling really inspired, and it's great to know that Tribe Sober is playing a role in building Recovery Capital. Let's pull out some key points from our conversation. David's father was an alcoholic, and he told us a really touching story of creating a picture of his family in school at the age of 10. A classmate looking at the picture said that his parents must be drug addicts, which left him feeling shame, an emotion that was to last for years. That story makes me think of our last workshop. There were several people there who'd had alcoholism in the family, and there was also a young guy who had small children of his own. And he told us that listening to those sad stories from people that have grown up with an alcoholic parent had made him determined to make a change so that his kids would not have to go through that. David made the decision that he would never be like his father. So in fact, he turned to hard drugs rather than alcohol. We talked about the false beliefs we all have about addiction, the stories we tell ourselves. For example, that drinking wine is better than taking cocaine or heroin. But of course, they're all drugs and we can become dependent on any of them. David explained that it took about three years for him to go from that I've got a problem moment to the this is hell and I need help moment. I often talk about the average length of time it takes people to reach out for help if they have a problem with alcohol. That period is 11 years, so it seems that hard drugs will take you down faster. So David hit his rock bottom when he became addicted to heroin and crack cocaine and lost his kids to foster care. He was working as a banker in London and taking heroin, which will make me look at those London bankers in their sharp suits in a whole different way. So as a result of the medical at the Japanese bank where David was working, he was sent to his first rehab, but it actually took a few rehab stays before he got clean for good. He began his journey into recovery 26 years ago when there was nothing else available except the 12-step approach. However, the 12-step model did work for him and he was abstinent for 15 years. In fact, he called himself Captain Recovery and he collected all the chips and the key rings on offer. He was back in banking, remarried and ticking all the boxes for a happy life. The only problem was that he wasn't happy. So David tried some personal development work with the Mankind Project and then studied business coaching. It occurred to him that the coaching model would fit very well into recovery, which triggered his own development as a recovery coach. As David explained, the discipline of the 12 steps kept him clean for years, but after 12 years, he needed more. Rather than being told to keep to the steps, he was ready to be empowered to discover what recovery actually meant for him. And recovery coaching was the perfect mechanism for that. We often come across people here at Tribe Sober who were sober with AA for years and then they relapsed. 
Off the top of my head, I can think of one guy with eight years and a lady with a whole decade of sobriety, and then they relapsed. This used to completely mystify me, but I'm beginning to understand it. I think they'd got stuck in the rigid discipline of the 12 steps, and they'd not done the work to build their recovery capital. The role of the recovery coach is to facilitate the building of recovery capital, and that means building inner resources so that we can stay clean and be fulfilled in our lives. Here at Tribe Sober, we enable you to quit drinking and then to go on and actually thrive in your alcohol-free life. And we've got our own recovery coaches who can help you to build that recovery capital that you'll need to thrive. We also have plenty of resources to offer to our members. We've got yoga, we've got nutritional advice, we've got hypnotherapy, we've got coaching, we've got meditation, we've got art therapy. So when we see our members connecting and diving into all those resources that we offer, we know they're going to succeed. We know they're going to succeed because they're doing the work. So back to David, who talked about shame, the internal shame we all feel when we're struggling, the communal shame felt by our families, and then, of course, the stigma society places on addiction, which just perpetuates the problem. Somehow we've got to find a way to lift the shame and let the healing begin. We talked about the wider problems of alcohol and drug abuse here in SA, and David is personally involved in training and sending recovery coaches into communities via his Ubuntu Trust. He strongly believes that recovery capital is key, and research has shown that for every dollar spent on education, there's a saving of $7. That's $3 on medical costs and $4 on criminal justice interventions. That's a pretty impressive return on investment, even for a banker. With the work that he does in the world of recovery, David finally feels that he's connected to his soul's purpose. You can find out more about David on his website, which is davidcollins.com. He's on Instagram, and I also spotted him doing some crazy stuff on TikTok the other day. So check him out. He's one interesting guy. If you listen to this podcast regularly, then you'll know that I've been developing an online course called Kickstart Your Sober Life. During June, it's been going through beta testing and I'm busy collating the feedback to do the final tweaking before it's released. We've come up with a fun idea to launch the course and we'd love you all to join us. We've created a pop-up Facebook group called the Five Day Sober Sprint and it's open right now. We'll be welcoming people into that group during July and on the 1st to the 5th of August, we'll be running our sprint. I'll be doing a Facebook Live every morning and explaining a task. We'll be asking people to complete this short task and post the answers on the group. We'll have a Q&A during the day and then in the afternoon I'll do a 15 to 20 minute training on Facebook Live. So do come and join us. It's absolutely free. You'll learn a lot and it should be a lot of fun. So whether you're just sober curious, you're struggling or you're just interested, come join us. Go to tribesober.com and you'll find the Facebook page graphic on the homepage. Just click on the link and you'll be in the group. It's called Five Days Sober Sprint. 
On the fifth day of the Sober Sprint, we'll be launching the brand new online course, but there's no obligation to buy it. Just come and hang out with us in the Facebook group. It's a private group, by the way, so your friends won't be able to see that you're on it. So let me finish with a message from one of our chat rooms. This is a brand new member, Steve, a Brit living in Spain. Hey, Janet. I won't text you every five minutes here, but I do want to tell you how happy I am for joining you guys. I didn't really know too much about you, but I had a sort of sixth sense feeling about you. A good feeling. And blimey, how right was that feeling? I think your setup is awesome. All the varying means of help, the daily emails, the reminders about how we gain nothing from alcohol, the Zoom meetings, the WhatsApp groups. I'm feeling really empowered already. So a massive thank you. Have a great week. Oh, what a lovely message. You quite made my day there, Steve. So this week's giveaway is our PDF called 16 Relapse Symptoms to Watch Out For. If you'd like a copy, just write to Janice at tribesober.com and I'll send it to you right away. And don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.